content writing can feel like a lonely job some days. You may be the only person in your organization that knows the ins and outs of securing funding. But D.H. Leonard Consulting wants you to know. You are not alone. Thanks, Kimberly. Because I spent many a day sitting in a cubicle feeling like I was the last grant writer on earth and no one in my office understood, well, anything about grants. True that. Which is why grant pros are often in the position of leading up in the workplace, and it can help to have another perspective to help you do just that. The D.H. Leonard Consulting's Grant Writer in Your Pocket service is for just that, when you need a grant professional's opinion. There's no contract that you need for a conversation that addresses your questions. Learn more at dhleonardconsulting.com. Well, hello there. I'm Kimberly Hayes Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Season 4 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. <laughs> We're doing more in Season 4 to help nonprofits, local governments, and the consultants who serve them raise more money and get more grants by sharing real-world experiences and interviews with experts in getting it done. You may hear a y'all or two along the way. Mm-hmm. And singing and strange sound effects. <laughs> Intended or unintended, we, we just, we're not going to apologize for it. <laughs> so there is actually more of us to love in season four. We've got episodes dropping every other week, all year long. So let's get into it. This podcast is brought to you by season four sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com? Check it out today. Today we're covering a topic that, to be honest, I had not given much thought to until the past year or so. We're talking about employee giving. Now, to be fair, it's not that I had my head stuck in the sand, but as someone who spent their first 15 years in her career working in local government, it's understandable because employee giving is not a thing at all in that environment. So... For someone like me, who spent her career in nonprofits and health and human services, um, employee giving has been a topic that I have, let me use a big word today, vacillated on. My opinion has changed oh so much over the years. Um, and it's also a topic that is coming that is coming up now and has come up in the past on social media and where and other other places where um, it's it can be controversial. I can see the advantages and the disadvantages, um, but instead of ju- choosing a side today and 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 staking my little flag on some strange little hill that probably belonged to someone else, let's face it, um, I want to spend some time talking about what works, what doesn't, and what folks in our sector are doing when it comes to employee giving. Yep. And who better to talk to about employee giving than the man who wrote the book on his findings, thanks to a survey and interviews with many in the fundraising field. We're so glad to have Ephraim Gopin join us today. He's a third generation nonprofit executive and fundraiser. 
Over the last two decades, he's been a CEO, fundraiser, alumni director, grant writer, event organizer, marketing and communications director for both nonprofits and foundations. Basically, like the rest of us, he's worn all the hats. Afriam is the founder of 1832 Communications, an agency which helps nonprofits build relationships and raise more money to help service more people. 1832 partners with nonprofits to craft strategies which upgrade their online presence, boost their email marketing, improve their marketing collateral, and strengthens their overall fundraising and marketing efforts. He's also the publisher of the popular daily nonprofit newsletter, Your Daily Dose of Nonprofit. And I must say, if you haven't subscribed to that yet, do it. It's a little little piece of joy every morning in my <laughs> inbox. Um, every Monday through Thursday, he delivers contents relevant to any nonprofit role you fill. Um, he's also the host of your weekly Dose of Nonprofit podcast. You know, we love some fundraising nonprofits around here. Um, this podcast introduces you to sector leaders and experts who supply you with information you need to better serve your beneficiaries and clients. And of course, he's the author of the ebook we're talking about today titled Employee Giving, Does Charity Begin in the Office? Um, what I really love about your bio, though, is the last paragraph where you share that you are a new recipe cooker, 80s pop music and culture master, Boston sports cheerer. We'll have to agree to disagree on the Boston football team, but that's okay. Uh, puzzle doer and Looney Tunes lover. He's a proud father of three young adults who enjoy taking road trips with their dad, but disapprove of how he takes selfies. <laughs> I think that's the law. I think that's the law. I think they have to. They're required to disapprove. So okay. um, once again, we have a completely um, um, non-interesting person who's an incredible slacker on our show. We'd like to just continue huh. on in that tradition of people who it just works. have accomplished nothing and have nothing to share, but because I'm kidding. So welcome, Ephraim. We're so glad you could join us. Hello, Amanda and Kimberly. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks very, very much for having me. And yes, my kids are supposed to be embarrassed by me, and it is my job as a parent to embarrass them as much as I can. It works both ways. Well done. I think well I'm done. gonna I'm gonna play that clip on repeat to my kids when they think I'm the only one who does it. <laughs> like, <"Wait, nope." laughs> oh goodness. Well, we have tons of questions to ask today, so we're gonna jump right into it. Um, first up, let's talk about how most employees are consultants to nonprofits, or maybe those who work in the corporate environment. They're typically familiar with some form of employee giving. But for our listeners who don't work in that field, like someone like me, who is mostly from the local government setting, how would you define employee giving and maybe share a few examples of how it works? All right, let's talk employee giving. So first of all, a lot of people would just say employee giving is employees donating to the organization they work for. And I go a little bit more broad uh, than that, because that sometimes can sound to people like a total negative. I define employee giving as allowing employees to feel the joy of philanthropy by donating to the organization they work for. And it's all about that joy of philanthropy. And a bit later on, we will we will definitely dive into that. Um, in terms of examples, we could talk a couple of things. We could talk about, let's say you work in a hospital and there's a kid's ward and you do a toy drive among the employees and employees bring in toys, which are then donated to the children. You could be talking, as most people would define it, where you go to the employees and you ask them to donate uh, to the organization. Again, there are rules and guidelines that you should be using, and we'll certainly get into those. Uh, we could talk about, let's say, professors 
donating back to the university they work for. Uh, I heard a wonderful story from somebody I interviewed. You mentioned the ebook, uh, who had said to current students who are going to become alumni, the 60% of professors in the university, this is a large university, donated back to the university. And that's a large number. Um, mm-hmm. So, and that put, that impresses uh, potential alumni and alumni, obviously. So the goal really is to do it in a way that brings that brings out that joy of philanthropy, the wonderfulness of giving. We all know when we give time or when we give a donation, we get that good feeling. I mean, I hope you do. Um, you get that good feeling, and that's really the goal of employee giving is to give employees the chance to feel as good as your donors do. Awesome. And I love how you put it about the joy of giving because mm-hmm. that's, you know – Honestly, when I think of employee giving, that would not have come to mind. But again, me coming from a background of not working in the nonprofit sector, so it's it's a bit of a foreign concept to to me. So I like how it's phrased as it's a joyful giving. So, and I would hope too, if you're working for a nonprofit, you probably hopefully believe in their cause and their mission and want to be a part of growing that. Yes, but that means that there's then that's. But the big part of it is the joy part, is that for some people it becomes it's a burden. And that's how, why I define it specifically mm-hmm. in the area of happiness. I want to go on the – I want to accentuate the positive side of it and the less negative uh, that, it, uh, that it could mean to some people. Yeah. And part of what I've struggled with over the years is – why I went back and forth on it is because unless it's handled in a way that you that many of your survey respondents and later on your interviewees, and I know we'll talk about that a little later, that they hold up. Sometimes it can be done in a very top-down way, and especially if your organization is um, – very divided. There might be sort of the white collar leadership and administration that makes salaries and then maybe direct service by hourly employees. It takes on a whole different meaning. Um, And so that's why I'm glad we're talking about this, bringing all this out. And I'm so glad that you um, put out this ebook. And at the end of the podcast, we'll tell folks how to to get that from you. But I'd like to hop back to the beginning. In the, your intro, you uh, wrote that you never gave to the agencies where you worked and were never asked by your boss um, several years ago when this when this project came to fruition, and never asked employees to give to the organization where they worked when you were a CEO. So I'm just curious what uh, piqued your curiosity around 2018 or thereabouts to sort of delve into this topic. So as every good uh – discussion begins. It started on Twitter. Um, and, uh, I, knew, I knew that's what you were going to say. <laughs> you know, Twitter, Twitter, you know, I, I believe that the universe has, has, is balanced. Okay. So Twitter at times can be a hellhole, and Twitter at times can be the most <laughs> wonderful place on earth. So this was one of those yes. uh, most wonderful place on earth uh, tweets. So in November, 2018, I can't tell you, I remember exactly what the impetus was for it, but I tweeted out, have you ever donated to the organization you work for? Or as a consultant, have you donated to the organizations that you consult for? And when I tweeted it out, I was expecting most of them would be no, because like you mentioned, you know, I've never, I had never donated even when I was a CEO. I'll admit it. I had never even thought to donate back. I worked 24-6 as a CEO. I never gave a financial donation. And I tweeted it out. I got a ton of responses and most of them were yes. We have donated, which kind of shocked me. And it led to discussions back and forth. And 
I kind of started seeing something that's like, oh, this is interesting to me. And then towards mid-January, so that was November 2018, January 2019, Voulet um, wrote a blog post where he came out 100% against employee giving. There is no, In that blog post, he is very clear, very vocal about it. There is nothing good about it, absolutely against it. A week later, uh, Claire Axelrad, who is a fundraising authority, mm-hmm. penned a response. I believe it was in GuideStar or Candid. I don't remember which one specifically, or both. Um, I think they're the same now, so I think same, they're good. Yeah. So she, uh, she penned a post and she responded to his uh, points as to why it's not. And she's very pro. Mm-hmm. She's very pro play giving. So here I had this tweet where I had a lot of expert opinions coming at me from people all over the world involved in all areas of nonprofits, not just fundraising. And then I had two people who wrote these blog posts and I said, okay, there's something going on here and I want to delve into it more. I'm a big fan. My f- favorite hashtag is hashtag always be learning. And I said, this is something that I don't see too much literature about, but I'm willing to bet people have opinions about. And so I said, (laughs) you know what? Let's see what, you know, let's roll the dice. Let's see what happens. And that's why I decided to, you know, put the survey together uh, and then everything else that came from that. So yes, it all started from a tweet and then just snowballed from there. (laughs) Wow. not what I would have guessed. Well, actually, but knowing you on Twitter, which is how yeah. I met you in the first place, exactly. I, I really am not surprised. But that's exactly. how to start your ebook. It all began with a tweet. It all began <laughs> with a tweet. Stormy night. <laughs> that's how everything. That's how everything starts. Like I said, the good or the bad. Twitter has that's both true. sides to it, so a lot of things start with a tweet, and then it just snowballs from there. So I'm glad that my tweet was able to. Um, the final result was something bigger. Uh, for the entire sector. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, so you, you, you decided to start all this. You put out a survey to fundraisers all over the, all over the world, really. Um, you had 600 responses to the survey, nearly. Um, and then you completed phone interviews with about 10% of your respondents, which that's a lot of time Can on I the just phone. stop and say, wow? Because yeah. it's also, sidebar, I, it is my understanding that this was you doing this out of your um, hashtag always be learning self. It wasn't Correct. a company or a university that said, hey, we're going to this for you they you were like hey let me do this let me send out this survey and then let me conduct nearly 60 interviews on my own time and my copious spare time which as we know doesn't really exist from the bio uh yeah but you know what um uh, yes but i you know what i first of all the truth is if i had had a sponsor that would have been great i would not have complained at all somebody who i could split the work with (laughs) but i was happy to do it because again for me this is such a new learning experience so i was like Bring it. And however many hours it takes, let's do it. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, that's what, that's kind of, that's us with this podcast. It's, you know, just something we, it's it's a labor of love. But we do have sponsors. We do have sponsors and and we're we're excited. But when we first started, it's like, I don't know, let's do this. So perhaps a little, a slightly more, you took a slightly more intelligent take on doing that, but it was sort of like, (laughs) hey, let's do this and see what happens. But within all of those phone interviews, what surprised you about those versus the survey responses? People are extremely vocal and they are hella opinionated. Oh my. Really? Oh, I'm yeah. shocked. I mean, this was, 
this was an issue that I, the survey itself gave me lots of data to look at and to sift through a ton. Then I went and interviewed close to 60 people, phone, Zoom, Skype, whatever it was. And nobody, nobody came to me and said, and hemmed and hawed. Everybody had an opinion and their opinion was set in stone. You could not move them. And not only oh, that, but I provided everybody who I spoke to, I said, look, I said, I'm going to be, I was upfront. I said, I'm going to be writing this ebook. I'm going to take notes or, you know, I recorded the conversation. I said, I'll send you everything. And if I want to quote you in the ebook, I'm going to send you the quote to allow you to edit it. So I, you know, I don't want to misquote you or anything like that. But I also said, look, I understand you have an employer. You're not a consultant. You work in a nonprofit. Do you want anonymity? Okay, I just yeah. totally blew up that word. Do you want to remain anonymous? There, I said there you it go. correctly. <laughs> um, do you want to remain anonymous? And then those people who wanted to remain anonymous, they were even more vocal because they went <laughs> – I suddenly became therapy for how they yeah. want to oh. talk about their boss without saying – talking to their boss, which is fine. Yeah. Because again, yeah. I learned from that how not to do it. When they came out and said, my yes. boss is in- insisting, demanding, uh, that helped me form what I wanted to write in the ebook in terms of how not to do it. So I can tell you there was no middle ground, literally none. Uh, out of 60 people, 60 people all had an opinion one way or the other. When I asked certain questions, I could see a little bit of hesitation maybe or thought process going on, but they had very, very concrete opinions about this topic one way or the other. That was the difference. In the survey, you could see little nuances in certain certain responses. Mm -hmm. By the way, in my phone surveys, in my interviews, I took their, their survey answers and I said, well, you answered this way in the survey. Why do you think that? Or yeah. can you explain further? Because the survey doesn't allow too much for nuance. There was some, but not enough. In an interview, which goes on for 15 to 30 minutes, I can get all the nuance. And they That's were true. more than happy to provide all the nuance they could give me. Um, and so I took their responses and was able to then further understand why they said what they did in the survey. Nice. I think that I'm so glad that you, um, I appreciate all the work that you've done, but I'm so glad you combined the survey with the phone interviews, because I think a lot of times, certainly with a lot of clients I've worked with in the past, the, the focus in grant seeking or fundraising is can be sort of on the outcomes. But if you don't understand why those outcomes happened or didn't happen, then you're losing a valuable piece of information. So, totally. so speaking of valuable pieces of information, three quarters of respondents believed, and I believe I'm, I believe this was from th- the survey. So, if I'm wrong, please let me know. But three quarters of the survey respondents believe that organizations should have an employee giving program as long as it was voluntary. And you can't see me out there in podcast land, but I'm going voluntary with I'm making little air quotes. What are the ramifications of that kind of program and what kind of employee giving programs would you consider voluntary? Okay. So first of all, you are correct. That was three quarters of survey respondents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to divide my answer into three and here's where I'm going to get a little bit deep into the issue of employee giving. Um, the The first is the reason why people say no. And The major one, and I kind of knew this going in, is that many nonprofit workers are overworked, underpaid, and underappreciated. And then you come to them and say, hey, can you donate? You know, guys, I already give 
extra, extra, extra. If I work 70, if, if I'm being paid for a 75% job, we all know you're working 100% of the time. We know that. Yep. So, yep. you know, in that sense, you don't want to go to people who may already be bitter and make them even more bitter, especially your employees who you're really, really dependent on to getting mm-hmm. things done. The second thing is the uncomfortableness of asking people who you work with. Okay, there is, a, it's, it's not, it's not easy to go to them and say, can you give? There are ways to do it, but again, it can be a very uncomfortable conversation for some, and that's why a lot of organizations won't do it because we just don't feel we can ask a donor, somebody on the outside, but somebody on the inside, we don't feel, we don't feel it's right to ask them or we feel eh, it's, it's icky to ask somebody, so we won't do that. A completely different issue that I came upon and something that I learned from my father is never judge another person's wallet. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, we had dis- we had talked a little bit at the, way back at the beginning of this podcast about uh, way back a couple of minutes ago. Uh, we had talked about. Uh, <laughs> we need to go back in time, Kimberly. Oh, okay. oh, we could give you the back in time sound effect. Ready? <laughs> Excellent. I like this podcast. I get sound effects too. Um, <laughs> perfect. High tech ones. Yes. Getting, you're getting uh, the listeners are getting all the senses today. You know, oh, getting, we're just going right there. Perfect. Um, the truth is, is that what my father was saying is you don't know what's going on behind closed doors in somebody else's life. So the I, in, with employee giving, a lot of people would tell me you shouldn't ask the temp employees or the hourly, you know, those who are paid hourly, but CEOs and C-level, well, they're making a lot of money, so ask them. And my answer to that is they may be making a lot of money, but you don't know what's going on in their life. They may have a child who has a disability and they've got a lot of payments out of pocket. They may be going through a divorce. Divorce costs a lot. They may have kids in college. We all know what college tuition costs these days and loans and everything else, mortgages. And so just because they drive a semi-nice Lexus from 2015 doesn't mean they're sitting on a nest egg of millions. So yeah. never judge anyone's wallet goes both ways though. Mm-hmm. Don't judge your temp workers and your lowest paid workers either. Don't assume that because they are making so little, they're making minimum wage, they can't give and therefore, oh, we shouldn't ask them. No, no. That's why I define it as joy of philanthropy. Ask them. You may find out that they're going to give even if it's $5, but for them, that's equivalent to $5 million. And they want to give and they want to participate and they want to help because they're out in the field every day working with your service recipients and they are seeing the great work you're doing and they want to take part in it, not just as employees. So the not don't judge somebody else's wallet goes both ways for the high end pay and the low end pay. In terms of now expanding it a little bit, there's the walk the walk sorry, talk the talk, walk the walk. If you're going to ask donors to donate, then you yourself should be a donor. So I did have fundraisers who were very upfront with me and said, you know what? I always donate because I don't feel comfortable going to somebody else and saying, hey, please become a donor when I myself haven't necessarily uh, given a donation. I would also add, besides joy of philanthropy, everyone is worthy of joining Mission Impact in one way or another. And that is a big deal. Everyone should feel that they have, uh, they can invest in mission impact and they're not being left out or left to the side just because they're an employee who's only making, you know, whatever it is, whether it's minimum wage or a very uh, low wage. And I would also add, obviously, that we know that the sector in terms of diversity, and we'll get to that in another, a bit later, Mm but in terms of diversity, Having the having all your workers donate adds diversity to your giving. It's not just your C level who we know is 
for the most part, male, white. Okay. You have, you have a diverse set of employees, get them all giving that adds diversity to your giving, which I think is a big deal. So if you ask me now, I can actually get to the answer to the question with that long preamble. Um, you asked, what would I consider voluntary? If you treat the, treat the, uh, campaign like you would any other fundraising campaign. You personalize your messaging to all your employees. You segment them out. You may have new employees who've never given before, older employees. You have C-level and you know different levels of giving. Give people a choice of what they can give to. And just like you would with regular fundraising, show proper gratitude and send them the impact reports. Just because they work for you doesn't mean they know all the stories that are going on. They are not privy to everything. And you know, you could use the example of a small shop, but take the example of a university, uh, sorry, you know, a hospital, okay? Hmm. In, in one um, part of the hospital, they don't know what's going on in the other part. Oncology doesn't know what's going on in heart surgery and brain surgery and, and with the kids and with this and with that. So share those stories. Tell your employees, if they, even if they gave $5, tell them, here's how you made a difference. So at the end of the day, all those together create a voluntary program because the second, you know, you mentioned it before, Kimberly, the second it becomes a demand where mm-hmm. I say you have to give, it's no longer, forget it. And the, the, forget voluntary in air quotes, put voluntary in the trash. It doesn't mm-hmm. exist. It mm-hmm. has to be really voluntary, something that allows everybody to have that joy. And I go back to joy of philanthropy again, because that's what it's all about. I, I was, um, I totally agree with that. And thanks. I, well, I was also thinking about voluntary in quotes. This, while this isn't employee giving in the sense of giving back to the organization, I have. It makes me think of my colleagues who work in uh, corporate giving, and um, at least in the United States, all around um, United Way, and how it's voluntary again with the air <laughs> quotes to give. But the, man, there is some. There's all kinds of pressure, and I, as an employee of a human services organization, would go present at these um, corporate giving events for United Way. And United Way has done a lot of good over the years, but I'm just talking about culture of giving within different companies, so don't at me about that. I'm just saying, but that same idea, it, it came from the C-suite folks who we're saying, hey, I give $5,000, $10,000 a year. There was like the Tocqueville Society and all of this. And they would have these big meetings. And because I grew up in the Baptist church um, here in the Southern United States, there was a lot of altar calling going on, if anyone is from that similar cultural background. <laughs> Softly uh-huh. and tenderly, United Way is calling kind of thing. So, um, <laughs> so, um, so while no one had a gun to their head and no one had, you know, was being forced per se, there was incredible intense peer pressure from the top down. And I have seen that in other large nonprofit organizations like some of the examples you gave. So for me, it's uh, moving forward and how I would advise my clients is, you know, let's really make sure that voluntary is voluntary. Give people the chance to give um, but be real clear about those power dynamics. And those power dynamics also have come into play um, for, for my own my own consideration of how I'm working with boards of uh, directors moving forward. I, in the past, and I still do under, under most circumstances as they exist now, board giving, I think to me is a very different concept than employee giving. I feel like if you're on a board, you need to give. 
I really don't want to hear about it. I'm not here for anything else. But if you have a truly diversified board, for example, one of my clients, um, if they they um, work and uh, serve folks in um, a part of a city uh, that's not in Georgia that has been um, seriously undermined over the years, just just no uh, economic development, schools underfunded, et cetera, et cetera. So they're coming from a place where it's not a level playing field. So if they're bringing people on to the board who have um, 90% of their clients come from households with incomes less than $20,000 a year, then is that the time to go, everybody should give? Or is that a time to say, someone give an honor of this board member, let's work it out, let's put $5 on the table. All that to say, I treat board giving very differently and I'm I'm, I'm a lot more hardcore about, yes, it should happen or you should make it happen for many reasons. But one of which is on grant applications, you often get asked that, what percentage of your board member gives, uh, give to a, a specific place or just overall in your organization. And um, I would say maybe 50% of the applications that I work with. Amanda, I know you do more government applications and that may not be an issue, but it comes up. I It's rare that I have been asked in a grant application to talk about employee giving, but I would say at least 50% of the grant applications want to know about board giving. I'm just curious, did that come up at all, sort of the board giving versus employee giving um, any in the phone interviews or at all in the survey? Yep. So big time shout out to our friend, Diane Leonard, president of Yay, DH Leonard. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Servi- Services. And sponsor of sponsor this podcast. Of this podcast. Thank you. Shout out to the sponsor. Sponsor shout oh, out yeah. to Diane. Uh, you know, when I interviewed Diane, she said to me that she said the same as you. 50% of the applications do ask about board giving. But yeah. then she said something that was really interesting to me. 10% ask about employee giving. And my eyebrows, well, I can't do it, but both eyebrows kind of raised internally because I said, oh, what the hell? Who? I was a grant writer a decade ago. Yeah. They, yeah. I got asked about board giving, but not about employee giving. If 10% are asking about it now, what does the future hold? And I'm yeah. curious, does that mean more are going to be asking? And then I can add in terms of the survey itself. So I don't know if you know who Jess Birkin is. She's the head of Jess Birkin Law in Minnesota, in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I had talked to her about board giving and she was very clear about it. And she, you know, I'm paraphrasing here. She said that in the sector, you know, we have a give or get philosophy, which most times requires a financial commitment, but that limits who can be on your board. So you have somebody who's uniquely talented or with a different perspective, they might not be able to give and therefore they can't join your board, which in essence is saying our boards are not diverse and board giving is a barrier to joining a board. And so I can tell you very quickly from uh, the UK, um, Kirsty Marins, um, who is a nonprofit digital marketing specialist, wrote a great article about nonprofits in the UK where service recipients are sitting on the board. Because Mm -hmm. in the disability world, they have the slogan, nothing about us without us. And that's the way it should be on your board. Service recipients are the ones who knows what, they know what services they need and what their population of, you know, know, that population needs. They should be on the board. Board giving is a a give or get philosophy, is a barrier to a diversified board. Mm -hmm. It is a barrier, Mm -hmm. means a lot of people can't join boards. And that definitely came up in the survey and in the phone interviews afterwards. It's such a tricky thing because I I can see if you're able to, you should give or get or do something, but it is a barrier. I come back to that. 
human services organization and that and this really in this neighborhood and the neighborhood full of assets full of generations of families not a lot of cash flow to do a cash gift on the board and yeah they have a give thing in their board policy so yeah it's a tricky it's a tricky thing um but um Thanks for bringing it up, and it's just something to think about for us all. It's also something to advocate with funders about in their grant applications. Yes, yes, and, you know, absolutely. If you're asking about board diversity, and you're asking some detailed questions about board diversity in a little table. Oh, yes, they oh, are. Yes, they Ooh, are. The things they want to know now. I was like, can I even ask this board these questions? No, but <laughs> that's another rant for another day. Yeah. But it's sort of like if y'all want us, and I would say y'all because – if all There's y'all want us to go There's in and get in and do this and have more diversity on the board, but then you insist that 100% give, it's like, I, I kind of feel like everybody put a penny board. on the table. Okay, 100% board giving. You know, yep. it, it's just, it almost just becomes this little um, check mark that you need to do. And, I, you know, actually, that's not a bad idea. Um, you know, if someone gives, they give. I'm teasing. I'm just saying. No, my, my, my M is more pushback to the funder. And exactly. explain, to, explain yeah. to the funder what you're asking here is – You're asking two different things. Yes. You want a super diverse board if – and if I am an organization that's serving people of lower income that have systematically been in positions to be in that – earning that lower income. But you want those folks on the board, but you want to um, take money out of their pockets so that you feel good about your check marks. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I know. Amanda's like, you're ranting again. Oh, no, no. I'm we're gonna, agreeing with it all. Gonna, I'll, I'll have well, – I'll, I'll take a cleansing breath and Amanda has the next question. <laughs> well, before we get to the next question, something this is earlier, I was going to say when you were talking about, you know, how you handle employee giving and that it truly is voluntary and that you make sure you educate people and you're, you know, whoever's volunteer or whoever's giving gets the same, you know, reports and stories and everything. I think there's a lot to be said too about learning to give from your peers. Cause I will tell you, Kimberly would probably never say she has taught me about giving, but I have learned so much about giving, not from even any podcast we've done, but just her, her and I daily conversation when she talks about things that she feels are worthy causes or a podcast or shows she likes that, you know, she'll talk about, she's like, she's like, yeah, I'm a Patreon. She's like, I can only give $5 a month, but I love what they're doing. And I hope my little bit helps. She gives to the <laughs> things on she the little bit. <laughs> but, but the reality is we all know it. I'd rather, you'd rather have a hundred people who give $5 each than that one yes. time, one big one. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I'd I like think, both, but go ahead. <laughs> oh, well, yes. <laughs> give us all the money. Um, no, but I think there's a lot to be said if you're not used to that. Because like I said, it's just something – I mean, my husband gives back to the university that he went to all the time. And I know my parents gave here and there, but they weren't – part of it, too, we moved around all the time. It wasn't like we had you know roots someplace. But that just was the, the act of giving to the different causes is not something I had ever seen modeled. But I see it through Kimberly, and it's – it's, it's, You've taught me a lot through that. So. Here I thought I was just there for comic relief and excessive amounts of tea, but no. Thank you, Amanda. That's really <laughs> sweet. Yeah. That was – well, I'm glad glad to, to help. I just – yeah, I just believe in doing what I can for causes that I believe in. Hashtag always be learning. There it Hashtag is again. always be giving. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. Anyway. Oh, so back to the learning aspect of that. Yeah. Um, so, Ephraim, how has your study affected the way you work with clients on whether or not they should do 
employee giving? Has it changed based on your survey? Yeah, this is actually an easy an easy one for me when I work with clients because I ask them straight out, why are you doing it? And if it's cash grab, I'm telling them, shut it down. That's it. We're done. You're not doing it. Or at least I'm not going to be involved. Um, I understand the issue much better now. So it's easier for me to advise them on how to do it in a way that's respectful, uh, not demanding, voluntary, and brings joy to those who are giving. So it makes it very – now that I've done all this research and put out the ebook, it's easier for me to advise um, nonprofits on how to do an employee giving program. Nice. What a concept, studying the things that, that are important and then presenting fact-based decision-making <gasps> options to your Silly. clients. I don't even know. That's crazy talk. That's crazy. Why, would you, why would anybody do that? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so if you had to boil everything down to maybe a number one takeaway um, that you'd like everyone to know about your ebook, um, what would it be? Nothing in life is black and white. Nothing in life is as simple as you make it out to be. You may have the most concrete opinion, as I mentioned at the out, you know, at the top. You can have a concrete opinion about employee giving. Read the ebook. I quote over forty experts in the field from a wide range of disciplines, and you're going to learn a couple things that are going to tell you. Oh, you know, I hadn't thought of that. No, I hadn't thought of, and I hadn't thought mm-hmm. like that. And you might come away. I'm not saying you'll change your opinion. But I want you to at least learn. So that's that was my biggest takeaways. You know, you had mentioned it. I I, I had started very anti, and I came away a little mm-hmm. bit more. Oh, you know what? Not the end of the world. This can be done, and there's a way to do it. So that's that's kind of that's my biggest takeaway. And I started super pro employee giving, and then over the years, I'm like. I'm not anti, but I'm, it has to be done a certain way that's respectful and inclusive and not pushy and not engaging in any weird power dynamics. So I'm a yes, but kind of girl. (laughs) All good. All good. Well, and I kind of shout out I'll give to your book is again, I'm going into a reading and going, I expected it to be very dry just because I'm like, to me, that's not a like employee giving. Let's read all about it. It's first of all, it is an ebook. So it's not, you know, it's not 3000 pages. It's short and sweet. I read it in one setting. Um, I, I highlighted several sections of things to come back to think about and that I like. It's, it's very entertaining to read. Like you said, you did these interviews and you're right. You've got some colorful commentary from people who feel oh, yeah. very strongly one way or not the other. So it actually was in some ways an entertaining read, but um, it's a, it took me to learn a lot. I thought so. It's a great, if you, if you've never thought about employee giving, this is um, the ebook is a great place to start. Thank so you. Let us delay no longer. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you and get that ebook and sign up for your newsletter and listen to your podcast? It can all be done in one very convenient place. Uh, my website, 1832communications.com. Uh, if you go there to the heading menu heading of publications, there you'll find a link to the newsletter. Uh, it's a daily newsletter that goes out Monday to Thursday every week. Uh, you can find uh, a link to the podcast, and you can find a link to download the employee giving book. It is free of charge. Read it. Get back in touch with me. Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from people. You can also, I'm always happy to connect with nonprofiteers on Twitter or on LinkedIn, both in my name, Ephraim Gopin. Uh, you can find me there. Hit me up. Come say hi. 
I don't bite. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, to spell his name, it's E-P-H-R-A-I-M. Last name is G-O-P-I-N. Correct. Thank you. So, yes, he's very active on Twitter. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. Uh, and that's okay, it. I want that's the best one. way to find me. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Why 1832 communications? <clears throat> ah, that goes back to what I consider to be central to both fundraising and marketing, which is storytelling. And uh, uh-huh. I will start my story. My personal story starts in Jacksonville, Florida, when I'm about three years old. And that's where I have my earliest memories from. Uh, Age four, I went to Disney during the bicentennial year in 1976. Uh, one, while I was living as about three and a half, I believe, uh, I almost burnt down the house we lived in because I set fire to the curtains in the living room. Uh, no biggie. Oh. These things will happen with three and a half years old. You know, you know. no biggie. Uh, but those are my earliest memories are from age three, Jacksonville. The city of Jacksonville officially became a city in 1832. And my goal is when I work with clients is to tell their story from its earliest time that you can, meaning when it started until today and tomorrow and beyond. The same way that I, my personal story, I can remember from Jacksonville until today, I want to do the same with my nonprofit clients, hence the name 1832 Communications. Nice. I love that. That's awesome. Well, I thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Kimberly and I have wanted to have you on the show. Um, we knew it would be a pleasure, and it certainly was. So we appreciate you talking all about employee giving with us. Thank yep. you to the both of you for having me. It was a real joy to be here, and let's do it again sometime. Although I need more from Kimberly Moore, y'alls. Y'all, I didn't, y'all I didn't get enough. enough. I didn't get enough. It'll, ha- it'll happen. It'll happen. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you again to our season four sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, dhleonardconsulting.com, to download their latest free resources today. Thank you for listening. We wouldn't do it without you. We couldn't do it without you. Leave a review of Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help spread the word. We are honored you choose to spend time with us, and we would love for this podcast to be part of your professional development lineup. Thanks again for joining us. We appreciate you and hope you tune in in two weeks for our next episode. In case you can't tell from Kimberly's. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, Kimberly and I are super excited that in two weeks we get to talk with Sarah and Beth, the co host of Pantsuit Politics. (laughs) Yeah, we can't wait for this interview. I hope you'll join us. Bye. Bye.